You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey, hey, hey. I'm sorry it's been a few weeks since I've personally greeted you all. But I'm bringing the intros back, and so happy to be able to say that this week's guest is Spanish Love Songs. The band just released their album, Brave Faces Everyone, and have a few dates left in Europe before heading back to the United States to kick off a tour supporting the Wonder Years. And the hype is real. While their sophomore LP, Schmaltz, was my comfort album for much of 2018 into 2019, Brave Faces Everyone is a whole other beast. It has the band expanding their scope and getting heavier, both lyrically and instrumentally. Spanish love songs tackle mental health, mass shootings, income inequality, and plenty more of the stressors of living in 2020, and they do it in a way that can never be considered anything but authentic, as you'll be able to tell from this conversation. Without further ado, my talk with Spanish love songs. It's been super exciting watching um, the rollout so far with all the, you know, all the vinyl like selling out and everything. How's it been like feeling for you guys? Uh, it's good. It's pretty, um, <laughs> it's not unexpected, but it's beyond what we expected, which is really <laughs> cool. Um, when the label was like, yeah, so the first pressing sold out, I was like, oh, well, <laughs> that's a good feeling. And then, uh, you know, talking to our other friend who like, had talked to the label about how many to print and he's like i told them that wasn't going to be enough <laughs> I, was just, I was laughing and i was like well i mean i'd rather uh exceed expectations than undershoot them so for sure <laughs> uh, and i feel like it seems like you guys are kind of popping off just as much in europe as you are in the united states and it's it's always interesting to me seeing when that happens um i'm curious like what you kind of attribute that to and like kind of how uh the two like audiences differ if at all yeah um i mean it's great i i think a lot of that uh should just be attributed to the work that uncle m put in on the last record um and then continuing to continuing to work uh this record with pure noise uh from a more uh pr standpoint mm -hmm. and uh we're super lucky i i think a lot of bands that are at our point um don't have the response that we have in Europe and uh it's been a real difference maker for us because we can you know we can we can tour wherever we want and like not lose our lose our asses completely which is great which is great <laughs> um and the fan response I mean yeah definitely I mean it's definitely different um but I mean that's the same as like every city different too uh <laughs> the general response but you know in particular like 
mostly it just means I don't talk as much <laughs> in between songs. Uh, because there's just nights where we'll be in Germany and I'll say something and it's just like crickets back to me. And, <laughs> and the people after the show are like, we, we don't understand what you're saying. And you speak too quickly. And it's like, oh, okay. So, uh, I mean, other than that, it's like, it's great. We have it's awesome fans and awesome responses. You know, it's, uh, it definitely is quite cool that we get to go to Europe as much as we do. Yeah, for sure. I've heard definitely like bands from Canada kind of saying that like being able to make it into the U.S. is kind of like sometimes a challenge and you kind of have to do it like right away. And I feel like it's kind of similar for bands from the U.S. over in Europe. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we went to Europe for the first time in November of 20 or October of 2016. Um, and so it's been a few years that we've been going over there. You know, is it, we've gone over there as much as we've toured the US. Mm-hmm. And so when people are like, oh my God, how 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 do you have that like how do you get that kind of crowd on a Monday in rural <laughs> Germany? And it's like, well, we've played a lot of really shitty shows, you know, the <laughs> same way that we have here. Um you know, you play a lot of shows that first tour was a lot of shows to like four or five people. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, and it's one of those tours where you're like, do we want to do this? Um but I mean it was a blast, but it was definitely one of the tougher ones that we've done because it was obviously it was just starting out. It was our first time there. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. Just like having to put in the time everywhere. It, tur- it turns <laughs> out that like building a fan base isn't just easy. Like, like no, that's hard, right? Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I feel like I remember sometime like a little while after Schmaltz came out and kind of like when it was starting to, you know, spread a bit more, um, you, you all as the band kind of said how you're going to be, you know, refocusing on the band and kind of like throwing yourselves fully into it. Um, and I'm curious how that kind of affected um, the way you went into um, like the writing and recording of Brave Faces, everyone. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's slowly been happening. I think when, when I said that, when Schmaltz was starting to do something, it was a bit optimistic, um, <laughs> but it was almost like I, I could see the path forward, um, even if it was largely not there yet. But, you know, like I lost my job last year. Meredith lost her job. Trevor just moved back to Cleveland, um, you know, for like cost of living reasons. I left, Meredith and I both left California. Uh, Kyle is somehow hanging on to his job, somehow miraculously hanging on to his job. And Ruben, like, uh, has a really cool bot. So that kind of worked out. Uh, and so going into the album, I, everybody else got to stay in California and slowly keep working, um, right up until we recorded. So, and then we, we took like three and a half, four weeks to do the whole album and like get it prepped for mix and stuff. So like, we all had to take that month or not all Ruben got to work because like Ruben tracked Jones in three days like a machine and he was <laughs> gone um super lucky but I yeah I lost my job in like March or April and then have just been like picking up odd jobs here and there to survive uh a lot of like manual labor jobs which was it was a great summer of like working and then feeling excited to get to play music 
Um, and so it was nice knowing that we were committed to it. So I took three weeks in June to write the album and then we went back to LA and then we spent another month, you know, doing pre-production and tearing the songs apart um, and trying to, you know, trying to pick up work where we could, but it was mostly focused on the album. So I think it definitely just allowed us to like, see if this is something that we could do full time. Um, and I, I mean, the answer is definitely yes. Now it's just a matter of like, when are we going to be allowed, when will we be allowed to do it full time? We're in a really weird spot right now where it's like, like I said, like most of us have lost or are losing our job. Uh, and we still don't make, you know, a ton of money from the band. So it's like how to navigate that kind of the, the dead zone of like, if you stop now, you will forever regret it. But if you go forward, like there's a definite like period of, uh, of stress coming up. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I, I know in one of the interviews that I read, um, you kind of like mentioned how giant sings the blues was kind of like, leftovers from like or like bits and pieces of like the last band you were in and some other stuff like that i'm curious um does did brave pieces everyone feel more like you were writing a sophomore album or like a third album definitely more like a sophomore album i think if we could we would erase giant from like we're ashamed of it or anything but because it was just an entirely different band and like we put it out like we didn't give any crap about pr or about labels or about you know like playing shows <laughs> i think it was more just a race for especially for like me and kyle to put an album out mm-hmm. and like say because up until that point i would played in bands that have only ever put out eps mm-hmm. um and i looking back remembered why we did that which is that like your first set of songs are fine um but maybe you should take time to like develop and put out a few songs and develop a fan base and, and this and that instead of being like hey i've got 10 songs let's uh we'll put out an album let's do it let's, <laughs> let's push it out now um and you know but i i like the album but it definitely doesn't feel like the same band um and it'd be cooler for our story if this is only our like, ooh, they really hit their stride on their second album but uh you know it's our third uh, which is also fine. I mean, it's, it's, it's our own story to tell, but, uh, it definitely felt more like, like there was no referencing giant while we were writing this album. I was like, whoa, <laughs> we, we didn't have to worry about covering any ground that we'd already covered. Yeah. And we had talked, we talked a little bit about the kind of like evolution between Smaltz and, um, Brave Faces Everyone. What was kind of like the, what made that difference between, uh, giant and Schmaltz? I mean, between giant and Schmaltz, it was just coming together as a group and me getting more confidence as a songwriter and just spending more time on it and then bringing Meredith in on the key, on the key side of things. And then, so of course on, on between Schmaltz and Brave Faces now, it's the same type of thing. Like we got even more time to spend together with it. We've been a band for two extra years. Like I now consider myself maybe a songwriter. Like, <laughs> like this is what I tell people I do now instead of saying it's just like a hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we brought Trevor in as well. And like, so it's just a whole, all those things kind of come together and it just pushes it in a new direction. Uh, and I also think that we had like a very like real reaction to the fact that like some people enjoyed schmaltz and, uh, 
I never want to do the same thing twice. So I was like, oh, people liked that. Let's not do that again. Like, let's <laughs> do, let's try to find a way to twist it. Not to say that like this is a new metal album or anything, but I, I would say it's a pretty different, uh, album, like sonically and pace wise. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of stuff that we do well, but it's trying to push it beyond just like, here's me shouting about hating myself over you know like a pop punk drum beat and some some riffs or something you know mm-hmm. um and so I, some people will hear that and be like that's bullshit you're still just a pop punk band playing pop punk songs but you know we tried to push it uh in ways that were interesting to us yeah for sure i think part of what kind of helped set it apart for me was um it feels like you guys spent a lot of time on like uh like the transitions and um, how songs flow into one another. Was that something like intentional on your part? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think in a perfect world, um, I'll write an album that's one giant song, um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not that good yet. Um, so like we're, you know, it's just something we always were conscious of is like how things will fit together. Uh, and, you know, like sound designing in a way, you know, Maris and I are super interested in film scoring and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of it was sitting down and being like, oh, how can we use the synth to carry over into this? Or how do we do that? Um, so it was, you know, it was a lot of fun trying to figure those things out. And like, we didn't give them as much thought as I would have, as I would have hoped we could have. Like, we just ran out of time. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's definitely some, it's something in, on our minds and, as I'm, as I was kind of writing just the like bare bones of the songs, I already, like I had an idea of how they needed to flow, um, just like from story to story and to try to build, you know, cause there's, there's a narrative to the album, but it's not like, uh, I would say as straightforward as like Schmaltz was just cause there's so many different stories that I'm t- like talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of building it up so that it, it made some sort of some sort of, sort of sense. We definitely don't want to put out an album that feels just like ten, like a collection of ten songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe I, I'm a firm believer in like the emotional impact of an album as a whole. Um, sure. Like I, yeah, I, I very rarely will put on an album and listen to two songs off it and then switch to like. <laughs> I'm not a playlist person. I I hate it. I hate it so much. Uh, which is not good in the modern world and like the age <laughs> of Spotify. <laughs> but I, I, you know, there's nothing less satisfying to me than when I hear a song I like and then that song ends and I'm waiting for that next hit of the next song to come in and then it never comes and it's a completely different artist. Like that drives me insane. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a very similar way. Like unless a playlist is like created like by me with like a specific intention, then it's like, then I'll no- yeah. get to know it exactly like an album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I find something so like maybe just playlists remind me of being in high school and writing making like emo mixtapes <laughs> for like girls I liked. Uh, I don't know. I don't like the idea of other people trying to curate my life. Like, mm-hmm. and I know there's some people out there who are like just curate everything for me. Tell me who I am. Tell me what I listen to. <laughs> like, I have no offense. To people like Imagine Dragons. But, like, I that feels like music that's been curated to like be cool to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't. I, I don't like playlist rock. Like it's not. It's a. Uh, I'll stop. I don't know. No, I, I definitely know I'm, what you I'm, mean. I'm cranky. Yeah. No, I'm <laughs> and I mean, going off that idea of curation. Um, I mean, if you were to say, like, who would you say like you're curating your music for? I mean, 
on like the basic level we're curating our music for us right and we're writing songs that we want to hear and we're trying to be the band that we want to be and we're aiming for bands that we like you know and or like not, not even bands that we like but like mountaintops that we seek to conquer um like musically and just trying to do our thing and push it as far as we can and so beyond that we've always kind of said like we're going to sit down and write this album that we want to write and people like it that's really cool like you can get on board this train and like this train and then you can get off this train and like if we like from now a ton of people won't like us who like this now and that's just like that's just the course of life and that's musical change and stuff so you know it's the same way with like people are like i only like the artist's early stuff like that doesn't worse than the earth stuff it's just that you've changed you know so all we can ever do is try to curate like what we want to listen to uh and hope that other people will respond to it and get on the train and choose it for themselves um you know or like or like a song will be on a playlist and they'll hear it and like be interested enough to click through to our album and actually listen to us which um I, which our fans largely do. And I really like, to me, that means that people are getting it. It might not be as many people as like cool bands, um, <laughs> but I'd rather like play the people who get it. You know what I mean? Like we have, we, I'll notice like we have like not as many monthly listeners as like a band should have in this day and age, but we have a sh- like a shit ton of minutes streamed. So I'm like, oh, people are just listening. <laughs> uh, and that's really cool. And that's all I really care about. Like, uh, yeah, I just, we just want to connect with people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I I was gonna say earlier actually too, but like that. I feel like the best thing about like plays are best used, in my opinion, as like a discovery tool. And like you said, like clicking through and then yeah, you know, really discovering the artist. And it's funny you mentioned like uh, how many minutes are being streamed and stuff because you were my second most listened to artist last year according to the apple music stats at i believe it was like yeah. 46 hours or something like that oh that's so cool see like i appreciate that that's i'd rather have like one person listen for 46 hours than 46 people listen for an hour i don't know yeah, like I, sure. it, to me it means more because like the person who's listening for 46 hours is going to come to the show Sure. The person who wants their life curated with music because that is just how society is now and you hear music everywhere you go because the availability of music and you just expect to hear music in the background, uh, that person's not coming. Like, I don't want to generalize. That's mean. But, like, largely those people I don't think are going to love, like, coming to see our band and supporting our band. And, and maybe they do. I don't know. I'm on one right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, those are probably more of the emo like night people. Afternoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not that the, like I. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. It's a weird situation. It's like I'm happy when anybody listens, but of course I want like the diehard people to listen. Who wouldn't want like people who get what you're going for? I guess mm-hmm. um, to listen. You know, like that's cool, and, and everybody else is like icing on top. Yeah, for sure. As far as the career-wise, those are the people that are, you know, easier to convert into the the more substantial stuff, too. So it makes a lot of sense on, you know, the emotional and the business side. Like stupid hypothetical games sometime, and somebody was once like, would you rather, like, cap out being a band that plays for, like, 20,000 people, but you only get that for, like, five years, or you play to 500 people for the rest of your life? And I was like, 500 people the rest of my life. (laughs) That would be so so wonderful and like so that'd be a gift you know what i mean 
So yeah. like, I, it's, it's largely the same thing. It's like uh, quality over quantity, um, which is counterintuitive to how you should run, <laughs> you should run a band business, I guess. But like, I'm sure, I'm sure other people who are now involved in our band hearing me go, oh, fuck the numbers. They're probably <laughs> just like cringing like, you, you dumbass. Well, I mean, I think it's definitely like kind of that, uh, the balance between like, like you said, like popping off for a short period of time or like the longevity. And I think in a lot of ways, the longevity kind of pays off in the end. So. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, the longevity absolutely pays off. And like, it, especially when you can have longevity without having to dip into nostalgia. Um, sure. That's like truly, that's like, tr- like you've made it at that point <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And you had mentioned kind of like the fact there's like multiple stories, threads throughout um, the album. And I feel like there, at the same time, there's like also a lot of like really great one-liners that like stand out to me a lot. Um, was that something <laughs> that you like intentionally tried to have a balance between or did it kind of just like, is that just kind of like how it ended up happening? Um, no, I think that's just how it happened. I truly try not to think about one-liners when I'm writing <laughs> because I think it drives me insane. Like, holy shit, how did you come up with that one line? You know what I mean? Like, Phoebe Bridgers is like the ultimate, like like current person doing like just one line after one line that just wrecks you. And you're like, oh my God, how did, you know what I mean? I was <laughs> um, definitely more focused and I like have to or else I'll lose my mind. Uh, I'm just like, I don't, <laughs> I'm still figuring out how to be a good enough writer to like sit down and tell a coherent story half the time. <laughs> so I'm just like, does it, does it say what I need it to say? And does it fit into the meter of the song? Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, but that's great. I'm glad there's some, I, like obviously I know there's one liners that will stand out to people uh, and that feels good, but it's definitely not like forefront of my mind. Uh, usually that's kind of the rest of the band's function. Like the, the rest of the band would never, I won't, I won't say never. There's definitely been times there's like an understanding for me to change a lyric. I'm going to flip on you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like what did you just say to me about this really hard thing I just did? Um, in like a, not, not like a mean way, but just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll just be like, I don't give a shit. Shut up. This is the song. Um, but they are very good at being like, yo, that line's dope. Like, push that or like, let's highlight that or, you know, something like that. Um, in like a much more positive way. Uh, and then occasionally they'll be like, hey, why don't you change a word or something? Cause that word doesn't work. And we've, we've finally built up, uh, Kyle and I especially have a, a level of trust like that when we're working in the studio that he can be like, that line's not working. And then I'll, I will, react a, a little bit softer there <laughs> but uh, that that took a while to get to just because it's like i i don't think of myself as a very good guitar player and i don't think of myself as a particularly amazing songwriter but i do have an ego with the way i can string some words together on occasion so it's been uh, it's pretty funny yeah it's, it's interesting because um like I knew this was an album that I was going to connect to, but it did kind of take me like a few listens. Like it was kind of like this morning when I was, ironically, I was listening at work and I, like for some reason I was just like keyed into the lyrics even more. So like the kind of mm-hmm. the force of the album hit me rather than like the one-liners, which initially were what kind of like stood out to me more. So it's kind of interesting. That's yeah the opposite way for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this, it's definitely an album that like in a perfect world, you'd sit down and read 
the liner notes along with it. Mm -hmm. Um, like the lyrics as you're sitting and listening to it on headphones or like on your stereo, which I feel like is a lost or a, a dying art. I remember being young. It might just be not lost, but I'm just not young anymore and I don't have the time to do it. But I used to love just cracking open a CD and listening and reading along. Um, it was like the, the ultimate book on tape. You know what I mean? Like it was great. Uh, I like in a perfect world, that's this album, but, um, we're not, you know, we're very aware that that's not how a lot of people consume music anymore. So I think you're right. Like there was a, a push to emphasize like catchiness, um, for the first time. Like Schmaltz is definitely like, get the idea out. Does it work? Cool. Let's move on. Whereas, you know, this, it's funny you said that. Like you, we're waiting to connect with it on like a deeper level, but you enjoyed it on a like surface level because it's definitely like more traditional song structures. And I like one of, one of the complaints that we not had or heard, but like something that came up a lot on Schmaltz is like, there's no chorus, you know, it's just like songs that kind of run together. So of course this time I'm like, I could write a fucking chorus. And so I think <laughs> every song has a chorus now, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, which I think, I think that helps too. We're kind of like, and that was something I wanted to do, you know, try to get into more traditional songs and see there because figuring out what we do well and ways to ways to push it into interesting ways or ways to push it into interesting ways, ways to push it into interesting places mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of kind of figuring all that out and simplifying. I think this is an album for us about kind of simplifying what we do and not being uh, so uh just kind of crazy and all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And kind of awkward and just kind of just uh, wandering, just kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think kind that of all over the place, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that makes sense because like Schmaltz is like, you know, it's like a ride. Like as soon as you're going, you're like, it's like nonstop. Like you're kind of just swept up in it and like, you know, the, the craziness of it. But like this album, it yeah. feels, it's like a lot more kind of like, almost like substantial in a way like sonically like i feel like it's heavier both like lyrically and musically and like you said like the more traditional song structures it just like kind of to use like the meme term like it, it, it hits differently <laughs> yeah no absolutely um and that was definitely intentional it's definitely more deliberate uh in its pacing and like i said in its structure and heavy i'm glad you said that that was definitely like as soon as trevor joined the band like between me trevor and meredith like so that's three fifths of the band our favorite bands are heavy bands you know mm -hmm. what i mean like on top like other than my my eternal love for like bruce springsteen and, and stuff like that the like mine and trevor and meredith's like commonality comes together on bands of like a much heavier background you know mm -hmm. like when trevor and i are driving or if, if trevor's driving and i'm in the front seat like you bet your ass every time i die it's getting put on or something <laughs> like that you know what i mean and the rest of the band groans in the backseat or like, you know, we we grew up and we still love Thrice and, you know, uh, bands like that or, or Manchester Orchestra and stuff like that. So definitely kind of like that fun to be able to kind of expand and expand into that. And what's funny is on Giant, there was one song called Stranger that was us kind of messing around in that world. Um but nobody else really enjoyed it besides <laughs> me at the time, I think. So I, we kind of like killed it and put it away. Uh, so it was nice to like open that toolbox up again and be like, you know, I don't have to be shouting over every 
musical bars. Like, what happens if we take a break and just let the music go for, you know, for a section? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I guess going back to the idea of, like, the, the multiple storylines and the connections, um, I mean, the two pairs of songs that, like, obviously stand out as related would be self-destruction as a sensible career choice with optimism as a radical life choice and then losers part one and two um could you talk a little bit about like those songs and the connections that they have with each other and how they fit into the album yeah um that's funny because to me (laughs) self-destruction optimism to me are only linked by the titling structure (laughs) i guess um which was definitely like it was just me being cute um but in like a a very serious way Mm -hmm. um you know, I think that those two songs are linked in their kind of look at uh, this overwhelming kind of hopelessness um, mm. that me and some people I know have felt from time to time. Uh, and knowing what a drag we can be um, and hoping that that doesn't make us, uh, I mean, unlovable for a, for a better, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Uh, like I know I can be a drag to be around and you know and uh, self-destruction is more of a story about you know somebody wanting wanting more um, than their simple life uh, that phrase it'll get better you know that's that's like where it won't be this bleak forever that's where that comes from um, which somebody actually said to me <laughs> like the chorus of that song was like a very literal response to somebody saying like, it won't be this week forever. And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? Um, and yeah, right. It was the title of that song for a very long time. Uh, and then, you know, optimism is the flip side of that of like, Hey, the world, <laughs> the world's ending. And I know I'm pointing this out to you on a daily basis. Uh, and I just want to run away and hide. And like, I, I know I'm a lot, but like, please don't, please don't leave me out here alone you know mm-hmm. uh losers losers one and two are actually yeah that's like a true sequel song um because we've definitely had companion songs in the past so, like i think this is the first like true kind of sequel we wrote just because um i wrote those lyrics as one giant song originally um mm-hmm. And it was one batch of lyrics and then a few other outlying things and some stuff I had to tweak. But so the chorus of Losers 2 was the original chorus of Losers 1. Um, and we loved it. Like, I, it, it was a completely different meter and stuff. And everybody was like, oh, that's such a cool chorus. And then, like, as I often do, we were getting ready, like we were working on it the day before we were going to record it for the EP. And I was like, this chorus sucks. We can't do it. Uh, and then I, I wrote the new one for Losers, which is great. I love that chorus. I think it's like some of the best stuff I've done. Uh, but I didn't want to lose the other one. And so when we, we had the song and I was, we had that, the beat and the kind of structure to the song and I was really struggling to like find something for it. And I remembered that I had these other, this other half of lyrics that I had excised. So there's like a, Kyle has a big running joke with me because he's like, can show the engineers my lyric sheet because it's like the one page of the lyrics we're doing and then like another two pages of stuff that I've just like not used and like cut out and been like I have it but I don't know where to put it so I finally had somewhere to put it um and so those are two different sides to the kind of to the kind of same story uh and the feeling of like 
economic hopelessness, right? And I, I have been saying, because uh, Losers 2 is the next single. It'll be out on Monday. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, and so I, I have to, I had to do, like, the PR quotes for it. And <laughs> I've been saying, like, Losers 1 is, like, the... It's like the party anthem. It's like, yeah, fuck you. We're losers forever. Um, but losers too is the like the hangover from that, which is like, what does that actually mean? Um, and like, where do we go from the only place you know is nowhere, you know? <laughs> you kind of said how it ended up becoming two separate songs. Like when you're like getting ready to go into the studio, you're kind of like just like tossing half of the song. But like, why, I guess like, why didn't it end up when you brought it back in, why did it still continue to be two separate songs instead of like meshing back into one? I mean, honestly, because we needed another song. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather have a part two of a song that connects lyrically. It, it also made sense because we were debating whether to put losers on the album um, oh. because we'd already released it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and we love that song. Uh, we were really happy with it. Um, like despite some challenges on the production side of just like running out of time (laughs) like (laughs) that was when we were all still working like trying to keep our jobs and so like kyle would work like an 80 hour week and then that weekend we had to record that ep you know what i mean so he was burnt (laughs) and i was burnt and so like it wasn't fun um but we were like really happy with how that no reason to believe turned out uh but we were, I had all these songs and I started putting the losers too on there. We were debating whether we wanted to, to put losers on the album because it made sense contextually, like as a song, you know, that losers was like the beginning of this batch of songs that I was writing mm-hmm. like thematically. Um, and so there was a big, there was a big push to get it on. Uh, and the, I mean, obviously the label really liked that song too. It's a, it's a fun, catchy song. And there was like, uh, like there was a lot of people being like, we like the song. You should put it on the album. It's a good song. And us being like, well, we don't want to repeat ourselves, but it, it, it did start to make sense in the context. And then by the time I decided to make that song losers too, then it like fully clicked. Cause it's like, Oh, well now in the context of the album and even sonically, the way that they kind of shift, mm-hmm. it like has to be on there. And not only does it have to be on there, it gives us an excuse to re-record losers when we're not totally brain fried um, <laughs> and when we've been playing the song for a year and we like know what it is. And then, so it gave us a chance to like do it better and do it better justice and also make it kind of reinforce the theme. So I think it kind of worked out in keeping it separate. It kind of worked out and uh, really gave us a kind of, it ended up being a two for one kind mm-hmm. of uh, opportunity. Cause I don't, I think without losers too, I don't know if losers, so then we're pulling into some of the B-sides that we left off. And uh, I'm not happy with that album. So like, I'm, I'm happy with this album. So it kind of worked out. <laughs> and, that's, and that's still, Losers 2 was still a nightmare because we got into the studio and I didn't have the second verse. Um, I had lyrics for it, but I couldn't figure out how to make it work. And we were like taking my vocals and I don't get that embarrassed in the vocal booth anymore, but I was just fumbling over this verse and I like I I told I told Kyle to loop it and everybody to just leave like go away for an hour and go eat lunch or something uh, and I wrote that in, I wrote that second verse in like an hour of just one lining over recordings of myself <laughs> trying to figure out uh what works and then they came back and I was like and it, it's funny because it's, I think that second verse is my favorite batch of lyrics on the album 
Um, but it was like, I hope it's fine. Uh, but it ended up working out. But yeah, it was a stressful song. And it, like, I think really was a big turning point in terms of uh, getting the album where we wanted it to go. Awesome. Yeah. And um, just one more thing on Losers. I'm curious. Um, you mentioned kind of like your brains being fried the, during the original recording and obviously this being a re-record and how it ended up being like kind of like a half step up. Was that, <laughs> was it a half step down because your brain was fried or is it a half step? It's, it's a really dumb, it's a really dumb story. Um, we recorded it. So we usually record everything a half step down. So it's called uh, E flat standard or D sharp, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's pretty common tuning. And I was toying with the idea of going even lower. Um, so losers and no reason to believe are actually, were actually recorded. No reason it doesn't matter because we use the capo on it anyways, the tuning up. But, uh, I toyed with going a full step down. Um, so we recorded it that way and it was cool, except I found I had this tendency to like push the vocals in weird places that I wasn't used to. Uh, and it was making me like a little whiny. Um, which you would think like lowering, I would sing lower, but for some reason when we lower it, I just want to go even harder. Um, I don't know what that effect is, but whatever. Uh, so when we're recording it, the rest of the album again is the half step down. Um, and I mean, it sounds like we were so sloppy, but Trevor tracked bass and he did it a half step down, mostly because none of us thought to tune it down because we never do. Uh, and then we listened back and we're like, I kind of like it. Uh, <laughs> and then we were like, this will be really funny um, because it'll justify re it'll justify the redoing it. It's like back in its it's back in its contextual tune. It, we I worked it out in my head before we like committed to it, but when we heard the bass, uh, not the not the original way, but in the new way, and I was like m- m- humming along with it. And I was like, I think vocally it's going to be even better because I'm going to actually, because I pushed it so hard when we wrote it the original way, it's a half step up. Now I have to push it even harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully, like, again, when we took the vocals uh, for the original losers, like my voice was shot. Like, I don't know what was, like, I, again, we were just so burnt. Um, but like, I, I did the vocals in the studio and they were so bad um, that I retook them in Kyle's sister's bedroom uh, where, where we were recording like some like pickup stuff. Um, and so like, I just remember my voice being so bad. So on this time I was like, Oh cool. I can do this justice. And now I have to push it even harder, uh, and like sing it in a much more creative way. So I think it kind of turned out that way. So it's kind of a running joke that like we, I, I think I tweeted about this, like how we messed up in the studio. It was definitely, it was a mess up, but it wasn't as out of control as I made it sound. Um, <laughs> just cause I like, I like making fun of us, um, and Kyle and Trevor, <laughs> I think they're like, you know, dude, why are you making us look like idiots in the studio? And I'm like, well, we weren't actual idiots, but like, it was a funny moment because we could have just easily just retracted the bass. Like, it would have taken us 20 or 30 minutes. Trevor's an amazing bassist, and like, we know that song pretty well, and we had the tone, but just being like, ah, let's go with it, and that's the kind of like fun stuff that it's such a dumb thing, but that was kind of emblematic of our time in the studio, which was like, let's just try to have fun with it like we were it's a gift that we get to be here for like three weeks straight recording so let's do it you know for sure yeah and it's definitely like a fun story to hear and like i feel like like you said kind of like 
justifying the fact that it was released as a single and then is also on the album. <laughs> well, also it would have been it would have been super weird because um, this is like some musical nerd. I don't think a lot of people will stress about the way that I stress about it. Like every song on the album is is in one of two keys, and so if you had put that another step down, it would have been the only song out of key on the album, and I think it would have been very weird and very noticeable. <laughs> and I think part of the way that the album was able to flow together so well is that like a lot of the songs are in the same key. And that was very intentional because I wrote the first batch of like six songs and I said, Oh, oh no guys, these are all in this one key. And I said, that's going to be a problem. People are going to think we're simple or stupid. And the band was like, shut up. Uh, <laughs> see it as a, ch- see it as a challenge. Like try to do an entire album without like, without changing too much there's something nice about restricting yourself and being like if you're in this key then it's like these are the these are the chords you get to play you know mm-hmm. it's like how to change them in an interesting way uh and simple again like i said simplifying right so like we don't need to have an album in 10 different keys playing every chord that we can like you know being all crazy and all over the place like we can focus. um so yeah i think i think it ended up working out that way and now it's a fun it's a fun way to mess with people. Um, <laughs> how people are going to be listening. When, when, when the, when the song came out, I like immediately saw people asking, it's like, what the hell is happening with losers? Something different <laughs> about it, but we don't know what. Cause like, I, I, I mean, I have stuff noticeable, but like, if you're not paying attention, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's always so interesting to me to like hear like the music theory reasons behind stuff that like, as a non like musician like that like you pick up on just kind of like natively yeah and i i mean we're not like a pretentious band like we're not a, I, I can talk about all this music theory stuff all i want we're not like a uh, musically intensive band like i we know what we're doing and we know it's not crazy but it, you know again that's i see that as like a rise into the challenge of you know rising above our limitations as musicians to do something um uh more interesting you know and uh and then i started playing on a piano and I played born in the USA. Uh, and I realized that that song is two chords the entire time. And I was like, well, now I have to write a song that's only two chords. Like I have to try to rise to this challenge of like, how do you be interesting without changing anything? You know what I mean? Um, and I think you can see that in a lot of the kind of, uh, some of the stuff we're doing, um, and trying to, yeah, I guess rise, rise above what we perceive as our limitations. Yeah, and then, um, so another song that I kind of wanted to hit on um, was is Dolores, which I feel like is kind of, uh, as far as like the That's subject. That's my song. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so perfect segue, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I feel like that one's like, as as I read it, at least like about like mass shootings and um, kind of like the. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So like the lyrically, I feel like it's kind of one of the heaviest songs on the album. Um, so I was just curious uh, to hear a little bit about that um, and the way that one came together. Yeah, um, that was a that was. So there were like three sticking points in the recording that like really, really made us want to kill each other. Um, so there was Losers, the, there was Losers 2, um, which had a pre-chorus that we cut and the second verse uh and making that work um and then there was the bridge of self-destruction which like i couldn't figure out to save my life um like musically and lyrically so uh and the unfortunate fact that like 
we had tracked drums for all these things. So there was, there was a lot of very creative editing going on to like make everything work and a lot of retaking of some little drum parts and stuff like that. Um, and then there was Dolores. So Dolores, like during pre-production <laughs> was, and maybe I'll release like a clip of it someday, but it was like a mid tempo kind of, kind of Americana rock song with like this bouncy chorus. Um, and we tracked it away and we really, we really liked it. Um, even though we thought it sounded a bit like a country song, like the working title was like <laughs> country road as a joke. Um, and, and like, it, unfortunately it stayed that way when we sent it to the label. And so everybody kept calling it country road. And I was like, Oh God damn it. Um, and then I, uh, we got into the studio and we started tracking drums. And the day before we were going to track drums, Ruben and I ran through everything one more time. And uh, we played it, and I was like, this sucks. This is not a good song. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a pattern for you. Started. Yeah, it drives it drives everyone insane. And I had like a little reverb pedal um, that I just got, and I was messing around with it, which it didn't even end up on the album. But I played a version with just two chords, just me. Um, and Ruben immediately was like, yeah, so we are going to do that one. Like, that's what we need to do. Um, and the rest of the band was like working on stuff back in Kyle's apartment. And we got back there and guys are idiots. Um, why would we change this thing that we already have that we pre-produced? Like, the point of pre-production is to practice the songs. <laughs> so when you get the dry run, so you go to the studio, you know what you're doing, right? And you can, you can explore things instead of trying to figure out the songs. Um, and so. <laughs> Like we were, we, yeah, we were recording drums in Orange County and I have like a little, uh, like a little production like groove box and I was like recording organ pads on it and structuring it and doing like a little drum loop. Like people thought I was crazy. And so our last day recording drums, we set aside half the day and Ruben and I flushed it out. Uh, and that kind of took its structure that way. And then from there it all kind of fell into place and became, uh, what it is, which is not a upbeat uh, country song. <laughs> and as far as like lyrically, I feel like it's uh, like I said, it's like really hard hitting. And I think it was, it's one of the ones that like when it finally like hit me, like it really hit me hard. Um, just, like how did that like the lyric side of things come together for you? Um, you know, I was just writing. I went off on like. It was one of the last things I wrote lyrically for the album. I think it was that and then Kick. Like, those were the last two things I did. Um, and I, I, it was just something I had written down. Uh, and I know on Schmaltz, uh, we had a song where I was trying to tackle a similar subject. And when we got into the studio, I scrapped the lyrics completely because they were bad. Uh, and that song became El Nino Considers His Failures. So, mm -hmm. like, it was a completely different song about, like, mass shootings and in America and stuff like that. Um, and I struggled for a long time to find a way to talk about it in a than somebody like being at a song being like, guns are bad, you know? Mm -hmm. um, like, no shit. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Um, and so I, I found a way in, which is just through a story of... Uh, of nurses working, you know, working the shift after a shooting. 
and oh I, yeah i remember i wrote it down because uh where were we? we were all working and it was when the uh the texas shootings happened this year like the back-to-back mm-hmm. shootings mm-hmm. and so we i was just like cool like here we go here we are again another album and you know uh all the same shit's happening and so it was just yeah it was a way a way to kind of get into it and just kind of vent some frustration uh and just tying in the theme of the album of like just empathizing with people who are seeing it from another another perspective and another side mm-hmm. um you know and largely working in a place where like i mean that story ostensibly takes place in texas right so like working in a place where people probably aren't as as anti-gun as i myself might be but still seeing the kind of ravages um that these things uh wreck on humanity you know yeah for sure and i think kind of like having it from like you said like the point of view of like a nurse is like it it kind of humanizes it differently in a way and like offers like that other side of things that kind of like makes you look at it it makes you like pause and like look at it differently yeah yeah because like it's easy yeah it's easy to distance yourself from these things like oh yeah guns bad you know this that uh but like thinking about the human toll that a lot of these things take uh is been you know a a a growing experience for me as well and just like it doesn't just end with yeah it, it like i mean obviously it starts and ends with a bunch of you know usually with a bunch of dead people um mm-hmm dead at the hands of some uh you know deranged asshole um i don't even want to say deranged because that makes it sound like it's a mental health thing uh you know what i mean some asshole yeah. with a, like a, an asshole with a grudge right or a, a white man with a white grudge man. yeah <laughs> i forget my own i forget my own lyrics um you know what i mean you see this pattern you're just like what the hell uh and it starts and ends with with the victims, but I, it it also goes beyond that, you know. Yeah, and the sure. the consequences are further reaching than than just us, you know, saying yeah, guns are bad because ten people died. Well, like ten people died, but then this happened and this happened. You know what I mean? It all kind of stacks up. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's something that like isn't always considered. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, it's hard to consider it. You know, it's a, it's the same thing with uh with where we are now with like this this iran situation the war with iran and people joking about like world war three and it's like haha but like sure the the means are fine but like there's a human toll to all this it's not just america going to war like it's another half a million or a million dead people in the middle east yeah. like like children and and people with families mm-hmm. um and so like a big part of this album is like learning to just look beyond you know for myself um as a songwriter but then hopefully you know other other people listening to it just like looking beyond our own kind of self-interest uh and realizing that like the suffering we feel is kind of <laughs> universal like mm-hmm. uh again like i i tend to try to make a joke out of things because sincerity is uncomfortable but like we're on a sinking ship all together so we might as well like at least recognize mm-hmm. uh that we're in it yeah definitely and that kind of like ties into um one of the last things I was, I was going to ask just about kind of like the general, um, like as a whole, I feel like you as a songwriter don't have a problem kind of like embracing um, like the negativity and sometimes like the self-depreciation and stuff. Um, but there's kind of like always um, like a tinge of like a muted, muted positivity. And um, is that something that you have to kind of like make 
a conscious effort to include or is that just kind of like part of how you are as a person no like um i really do think of myself as an optimistic person um i wouldn't do i wouldn't be here if i wasn't and i wouldn't do this if i wasn't um <laughs> like being in a band especially like you have to be almost delusional <laughs> to want to do this uh Fair for enough. a career because it's like this isn't a job come on this is silly um but it, it's great and it's a it's a it's a gift at the same time um but no i think i think it largely comes through i mean it's something i definitely focused on more on this album and i'm glad you said that um <laughs> i like sent out so like when this went out to like the our the press team for the label i sent over like a notes document and i was <laughs> In, and, and in the bio too, like the interview that they did, that, uh, Evan did when he wrote our bio, I was like, this is an optimistic album. Like certain people have laughed at me. And I'm like, no, but, but really it, it is. Um, and so, you know, I think part of it just comes from the fact that, yeah, like we can be a very negative band, but I also think that a lot of the times when I'm writing stuff, I'm being, uh, a bit sardonic. Or, you know, like trying to make a joke of things, but it doesn't necessarily come through. <laughs> um, so I think that's where I get into trouble sometimes. But yeah, I, I think it was important to me on this album, especially like Schmaltz, it's fine if you walk away, uh, feeling deflated because that album was about how I'm a piece of shit. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's fine. We can point at me and call me a piece of shit. That's great. Um, but now that we're like broadening the scope of what we're trying to do. And I'm talking about people who aren't me, like we don't get to walk away from this calling other people a piece of shit. You know what I mean? Like we don't get, like you don't get to walk away from kick and be like, Oh my God, how could you abuse heroin? Like what the fuck? Or you don't get to walk away from generation loss and be like, Oh, what, what, Oh man, it drives me insane when people call people who take their lives cowards. Like, oh, he took the easy way out. It's like, get the fuck out of here. Like, who do you think you are? Um, so I think that was pretty important to like, <laughs> there's no coming away from this, uh, like feeling deflated because then we're feeling down on, on everybody's choices in their life. <laughs> like life's hard and your choices reflect the like cruelty of the world. So like, let's try to put a positive spin on that. And there's, there's gotta be some comfort in the fact that, you know, life is, life is long and difficult. So like, it's not necessarily your fault, you know? Um, and to me, that's, to me, that's positive. It's like, uh, absolution is a positive thing. Yeah. And I guess, um, kind of like piggybacking off of the idea of like expanding the scope of the album, I think that kind of like fits in well with the, uh, what I always have as like my last question, which is just, um, kind of either for like looking for like a piece of advice or like, um, something you've been thinking about, something like philosophical, uh, whatever you kind of like has been hitting home with you lately, either about like music or life in general that you would just kind of like, like to share. Um, oh, that's fun. That's a good question. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, I've been so consumed with this album that I think it has to, I think it has to start and stop there, you know, of like, oh, how do I phrase this? You know, when we first started writing the album, uh, I read this, I remember reading this great quote from, uh, Scott from Frightened Rabbit, who was like, when they started getting a little bit bigger, he's like, nobody wants to hear you complain about sitting in the back of a van. <laughs> um, like, I don't, that wasn't it exactly. That was basically what it came down to. 
Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, and like the amount I complain <laughs> about how difficult, uh, life feels sometimes. And, you know, one of the, one of the beautiful things that we've got to experience is meeting other people who also feel like their life is a constant, um, like a never ending chain of events that lead to disappointment or sorrow or hopelessness or, you know, in knowing that like for, for the large swath of us, like the, the 99% of us, you know, not, not in the economic sense. I mean, it's all in the economic sense, but like <laughs> also in like a more statistical sense, which is probably, they're probably related. Uh, life is just hard and full of difficult choices and disappointments. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe there's some peace in that. Like if everybody's in a weird way, if everybody's struggling, like we can come together and realize that and try to empathize a little bit more. So I don't know. I, I usually try not to get into these things because I feel like it sounds cheesy, but I've been, uh, I've been feeling pretty good lately. So like I've been trying to be a bit optimistic and, uh, and trying not to let, you know, try not to let the blues get me down. Um, so I think that, I think that kind of helps. And like, it also helps that people want to listen to my band. So like that's it's yeah. pretty cool. It's a good time. <laughs> It's a it's a good time to be me, like uh, in a really cheesy way. Like uh, <laughs> it's kind of cool. So it it was good to be able to kind of come through these songs and and kind of see that and now get to kind of experience it and you know try to. I think like I I jokingly said this in our pitch, but it was like um, like we just want to make the world like less shitty for forty minutes. Um, <laughs> so if we can do that, that's awesome. And I feel like that's a good way to try to. That's kind of how. Yeah, let's leave it on that. That's how I've been getting through is like going from thing to thing that makes the world feel less shitty. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, that's a great sentiment and a great way to wrap this up. And uh, <laughs> I, I really appreciate you taking the time. And um, I'll be at... Oh, absolutely. I'll be at two of the dates on the One Year's Tour. So I'm super excited to... It'll be the first time oh, I, catch, nice. I catch you all live. So I'm really excited for that. And that's obviously a, the One Year's Tour. That's too. a good first one to catch. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. We're so freaking lucky that they are kind enough to take us on tour. We're so like them and the men's singers, it's it's so funny. Like I'm not a big internet like I don't love the internet. But I do hear about these things. So I it's a very funny troll to me that the two bands that people accuse us of uh, ripping off are the two bands that we get to go on tour with to launch this album, which to me is our own album. Like this is us, like this is our sound. Uh, this is us doing what we do. Um, so to me, there's like a level of trolling that I really, really get excited for. So, uh, I'm so psyched for these shows. Also, because we get to watch like amazing bands every night. Like, who wouldn't want to tour with the Men's Ears and the Wonder Years and Free Throw and Pool Kids and Mannequin yeah. Pussy? Like, it's like a, it's like top to bottom. I can honestly say I enjoy all of those bands that we get to spend the next three months with. So like, that's pretty cool. The first tour that I'm ever seeing more than one date of. And it works out perfectly because Boston's right at the start of the tour and Connecticut's right at the end. Oh, yeah. So you get like a month break with the same tour. Oh, my God. Okay, so here's what I'm going to need from you. I'm going to need you to really pay attention to how much better we are in Connecticut <laughs> than the Boston days. We'll do. Like, by the time we get to Connecticut, it'll be a month of touring. But, like, a month of touring and, and maybe three or four of the new songs. So, like, by the time we get to Connecticut, Oh man, it's like, that's the end of, like, we're going to be firing on all, that's, uh, 
you're so <laughs> you're so lucky to get to watch us at our best. That's a, that's a joke. That's a joke. But like, <laughs> it is, it'll be interesting. It'll be just about ten years since the first time I saw the Wonder Years. The first time I saw them was in Connecticut, and the next time I see them in Connecticut, almost ten years later. So it's just like perfect on all accounts. <laughs> on the Upside tour? Well, it was right at the end of the year. It was the end of 2010 when Upsides came out at the beginning. They were uh, opening for, it was For Your Strong and a couple other people, I think. Wow. Yeah. Fun fun fact about me, this will be the first time in 10 years that I've played with the Wonder Years. <laughs> so that is some little known uh, San Diego pop punk scene, if you knew anything about my shitty old band. Yeah, no, I'm really excited because, I, yeah, I got, I played, I got to play with them on some of the Upside shows in my, in my shitty, like, easy core band that I had joined up with um, and at Bloodfest when I, when I got to do uh, bar bands with them, oh, right. uh, I was talking to, to Dan afterwards. I was like, yeah, that was wild. Uh, I haven't done that since 20, since 2010. And he was like, <laughs> holy shit. I remember that. It was really, it, it was really funny. Um, I like the best review I heard of Schmaltz is that it's like, what happens when your band doesn't become the Wonder Years or the Men's Years? Um, <laughs> because like we're all roughly the same age and have been doing this. I haven't been doing it as consistently as them, and that's like, and also like I didn't write good songs when I was 22. Um, but it's it's it was really funny. It's kind of coming full circle, and like that, it's life's wild, man. It's great. And there you have it: 22 episodes of Flying the Call Down, and who knows how many more to go. If you haven't checked out Spanish love songs yet, what are you doing with your life? Go do it, now. You'll be glad you did, and you should count yourself lucky if you're able to snag tickets or a record from them. Because to know them is to love them, and more and more people are getting to know them every day. Brave Faces Everyone is out now on Pure Noise Records, and is sure to be an album title you'll hear throughout the year, including when it comes to those year-end lists. Check back in on Monday for a hint at next week's guest, and remember, if you get it right, you'll be able to hear the episode early. If you have the chance, please give the podcast a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, and share your favorite episodes with your friends. It means the world to me, and I love putting faces and names to the audience I owe so much to. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyOnTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyOnTheCallPod at gmail.com. Until next time, brave faces, everyone. Reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I feel like a shot Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P R O H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.